Irish Beats with Rob O'Connor. Your music now. This is Beat. I am joined in the studio now by Mr. Mark Graham, uh, formerly of King Kong Company. Uh, he's an academic at ACETU. He is the owner of Very Fine Beard, and he is a stunt puller and a rabble rouser. And he is also the uh, chief architect of the Irish Music Industry Podcast. Mark, how are you? Not too bad, Rob. How are you doing? I'm good now. Thanks very much for coming. Pretty good beard yourself now, in fairness. Uh, it's not, not, not a patch on yours now. Yours is like serious work. You know? Yeah, it is, um, it is serious work. Yeah, it is, yeah. There's a lot of brushing. <laughs> involved I say there's that a, yeah there's a lot of cleaning involved and finding <laughs> things you know every day is a voyage of discovery a couple of years ago I grew out the beard you know and uh, not not as long as yours but uh, the girls my, my kids just kept talking to me like Mr. Twit and they kept saying oh there's cornflakes in your beard it's like it's kind of they shame me into trimming sometimes it sometimes there is yeah. <laughs> um, Mark you're here to talk about the rise and fall of Balcony TV which will be on the Irish Music Industry podcast and it's actually going to be the last few episodes yeah. of the podcast. Yep. So what we might do is we might kind of talk about the, the rise and fall of Balcony TV, but also about what's on the Irish Music Podcast, mm-hmm. why somebody should be listening to it, because even like, okay, if the podcast is ending, there's there's a back catalogue there that's gold, in yep. my opinion. Uh, but before that, I want to play this though, because uh, I, I really, to be honest with you, I'll, play, I'll take an excuse to play this song on the radio. <laughs> uh, it's uh, a song that you released um, towards the tail end of your career with King Kong Company. Um would you like to introduce it? <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's called Whores of the Lizard People. Um, yeah, I think it, Jesus, you know, you talk about people writing things. Um, it was it it comes from a place of frustration, but we had fun with it. Myself and a poet that I've worked with a couple of times, Abby Oliveira from well, she's Scottish, but she's based in Derry. Yeah. And uh, yeah, sure. Look, we we dreamt up this thing. We had a bit of crack with it about it, it built on. I don't know what you were doing during the lockdown, right? But somebody sent me a video. Of David Icke oh, yeah. talking about what was happening, right? And uh, David Icke, if people don't know, is a former snooker commentator who put himself forward as the son of God and said the world was going to end. It didn't end when David Icke said it would end, but he still puts himself forward as a kind of a prophet. And David Icke has presented this idea that the world is being run by lizard people. And at the start of the lockdown, somebody sent me a link to a David Icke video where he was talking about what was happening in the world with this pandemic. And two and a half hours into it, right, I was saying to myself, he's actually making some sense. And I went, whoa, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. This snooker commentator who thought he was the son of God, who believes in, believes in all these lizard people, is making sense to you. It's time to check yourself. And David Icke was partially, more than partially, was a lot of the inspiration for this song. And at the start of it, there's a voice who works in Waterford on radio for, for many years, Rick Whelan. And I asked Rick to do a bit at the start of it and he was only too delighted. So it was great to get Rick in to do a bit on as well. He's a bit of a legend. Jeez, and it's a bit of a banger too. So this is Whores of the Desert People. In this early part of the 21st century, there has been an unprecedented increase in the number of lizard people who live among us. Travelling to Earth from the constellation Draco, the lizard people have... Now, 
and we're all eating crickets. <laughs> now there, Mark, did that bring back memories? Oh, it did, yeah, and fair play to you. There was a couple of words snuck in there, Rob. Yeah, yeah and, uh, well, look, know. it's late enough. And, it is, um, yeah. You know, there we go. We're past the wall. <laughs> right, so this is Mark Graham. He's here with me, uh, not to talk about King Kong Company or Lizard People. He's here to talk about the rise and fall of Balcony TV, a chaotic microcosm of the global music industry. Right, so that's going to be the capstone it's going to be the tail end of the Irish Music Podcast. Yeah. But let's go back maybe just a little bit further and could you mm-hmm. briefly describe what the Irish Music Podcast is and why you, you know, started recording it in the first place? Well, I've been playing in bands since, I don't know, since I was a teenager and I'm well past that now and I'm teaching music students and one of the modules that I teach, it's called Professional Development for Musicians and it's 12 weeks long. Mm. And I know that all the stuff that they would that would benefit them to know there's no way you can fit it into 12 weeks and it would be great if we could bring guests into the college to tell them stuff but I found a way of passing on some information that's probably critical to people who want to make a living in the music industry uh, by not bringing in guests and that was by by interviewing them by sending them emails and like I got people like Sylvia Massey is an engineer from the US. She has the biggest collection of microphones in the world. She was Prince's engineer for a couple of years, produced the Johnny Cash album, you know, the American songbook, Johnny yeah, Cash album. Yeah, like, yeah. Massive. She was only too happy to talk to me for hours about microphones. And what's brilliant is when you talk to a nerd and you're a nerd and you talk to a nerd about something you're interested in, they only love talking about it. And so it stemmed from wanting to do that. But what I noticed very quickly was that um, people who are interested in music like to know the provenance of the music that they listen to. They like to know where it comes from. And if I'm talking to Sylvia Massey about Johnny Cash or Prince, mm. people who like music, who aren't making a career in the music industry, they like knowing that stuff because it gives you a real deep insight into... Like One of the things she was talking about was she hung the singer from System of a Down upside down from the ceiling by his ankles while he was singing the vocal part <laughs> on one of their albums. And when you listen to it, you can hear it. And she said he nearly choked, that she only did it once. But stuff like that. Yeah, yeah If you're yeah. into a band and you find out that one of them was hung upside down while they were singing a part of a song that you really like, people dig that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And what was surprising to me was how many people who weren't involved in the music industry started to listen to it. I know that like for the three seasons so far it was up every season, uh, at least once it hit the number one spot on the Irish podcast charts. I was surprised by that because this was meant to be an educational thing, but it branched out from that. And then talking to people like um, Tom Gray from Gomez about the Broken Record campaign and his campaign in the UK to try and make the streaming of music fairer for the people who make and produce music. Incredibly interesting stuff that not just musicians are in. People who, you know, people who are, people who are music fans Mm. want to be able to help out the people who make the music as well. And Tom Gray is a bit of a hero when it comes to that. But then talking to people that, you know, people would never have heard of before. Like there's a guy from America who writes um, songs about poop on Spotify. He's released something like I think it's 12,000 tracks on Spotify now and he's the only person I've ever talked to who's making money from Spotify. But what he the reason he wrote albums about poop is that he realized that if somebody has Alexa or something similar in their house if anyone says poop it will play a song that has poop in the title and he's making over $100,000 a year just from Spotify in a time where nobody else is making money from Spotify. But he'll write like he releases the equivalent of about 40 albums a year. Yeah about ridiculous stuff. He has two albums about office supplies. 
you know, and one of them is about paper clips, another about post-its. And he's a bit cracked, but he's kind of like crazy like a fox. You have to admire his entrepreneurial you do. spirit. Like, but yeah, I mean, yeah. I got to talk to fellas like that. And I was yeah. just, I was fascinated talking to him. Like, he's a really interesting character. And then talking to people in Ireland who are just starting their careers. You know, like, talk to somebody like Charlie McGedigan, who represented mm. Ireland in the Eurovision. That was a really, you know, Charlie McGedigan has been in the industry for 60 years. But then talking to somebody like let's say Alex Goff, who was starting their mm. career and thought, well, what is it that you want to achieve from your career? And you know, it gives gives a real insight into how the thing operates. And yeah. people seem to people seem to like to listen to it. I remember listening to an episode you, you recorded with uh, Jenny Wren. I think he had an interview with her. She was on one of the episodes. I loved it. I know I've I know who Jenny Wren is. She's a promoter, booker. She's yeah. booked lots of people. Um, but just giving an insight into how festivals are booked. Yeah. And she was very candid with it. Yeah. Do you know they, what I mean? They, they all usually and, are. You know, yeah, yeah, they are. You know, so yeah. it's it's like it's, what I found very helpful. Now, I haven't listened to every episode. I've listened to a lot of them. Is it lifts the veil on things yeah. a little bit. It's like seeing how the sausage gets made. Yeah. And if you're into it, you're into it. You know. Yeah, and the rewarding part of that is interviewing people like Jenny Wren or Shane who runs Independence yes, Music Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the question, I even before the podcast, just in a band, the question you get asked a lot is, how do I get a gig at a festival? And here you have these people telling you mm. how you get a gig at a festival and then somebody who listens to the podcast sent me an email saying thanks very much I got in contact with them and I got a gig and they're kind of going brilliant that's what it's for you know yeah. that's that was the whole that's the whole idea of the thing but then having gone through that for four years I was kind of questioning well what do I want to do with the thing and I kind of changed course of it being educational to kind of going hang on a minute it was meant to start off talking about how the music industry works and as I was going through it, what I started coming up against more and more is how the music industry isn't working. Mm. You know, what parts of it aren't working, what parts of it could be improved. And then asking myself the question, Jesus, you know, ethically, do I want to be sending people into this industry that could potentially be damaging to them? And all of that seems to get wrapped up really nicely in this story about Balcony TV that was meant to be one interview that uh, there was a story where all the videos from uh, Balcony TV and there was thousands, I think nearly 20,000 of them, got delisted when Sony took over the channel. And that, you know, that's that's a kind of an interesting story. And I started talking to the guy who set up Balcony TV, but there was a lot more going on behind that story than just the videos being delisted. And it kind of set me down a rabbit hole so instead of make, instead of it being one interview it's now a three part documentary where I interview lots of people about all the stuff that happened around the start of Balcony TV how it took off why it took off the sale of it and then the fallout from the sale of it I have a little trailer here Go your, for it. your trailer I've cut up a shorter version of it thank you it's an online sensation that's taken the world by storm giving budding musicians a chance to play to a global audience Balcony TV Balcony TV captures up-and-coming artists before their big names like Mumford & Sons, Ed Sheeran, The Script, Jessie J, and many, many more. From Barcelona to Tokyo, from Sydney to Los Angeles, Balcony TV is produced by a global family of dedicated producers. You know, over the 12 years that I did Balcony TV before we launched Balcony TV in 100 cities, and at the time, they hadn't a clue what was going on. I'd say they just didn't know what was what they were doing. It was a mad thing to do. It was so innocent. That's what it is. It was innocent. And all brilliant stuff comes out of innocence. The rumor was that they sold it. I think some people were upset. Everybody who dealt with Balcony TV felt like they owned stock in Balcony TV. 
And so one of the investors said, Stephen, ask for 18 million. Don't ask for less than 18 million. And then another one of the investors said, ask for 10 million. Don't ask for less than 10 million. So I asked MTV for 7 million. Hey, 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 hey. And he worked so hard that he's just trying, trying, trying. He wanted to make something out of it. And he did make something out of it. But I think he got swindled in the grand scheme of things. If I was a conspiracy theorist person, I would believe that all the record labels got together and said, let's give this guy a job, take it from under him, and then shut it down. God, you actually, I should tell this story to somebody. <laughs> Even hearing that little tag at the end, the Balcony TV one. I remember Balcony TV was one of the first kind of YouTube kind of series that I really latched onto and I watched a lot of it. I remember like uh, all sorts of people playing at it, but I do, one that really sticks in my mind is is Gavin James? Uh, he the, where I first encountered him was donkeys years ago doing a cover of Daft Punk on Balcony TV. There you go. Yeah, and uh, every and I think that was kind of where things started for him. Yeah, and you know, I mean, so many artists. You yeah. know, the big names are Ed Sheeran, Jesse J, Mumford and Sons, mm. The Script. But so many artists who you'll never heard of and you'll never mm. hear of again were on it. You know, over the course of the. 12 years that it was in existence you know, tens and tens of thousands of people in a hundred and I, this is the thing that like it passed me by pretty much when I was at its peak it kind of passed me by I, I checked my old emails and we got an invitation to go on it but we thought we wouldn't fit on the balcony and we were all working 9 to 5 so we couldn't make it up so it, it, I didn't really get it so maybe just to set the scene the balcony TV originally started they had an apartment in Dublin yep. somewhere, I think it was near Christchurch or something like Dame that Dame Street Dame, overlooking yeah, Dame Street, Dame Street. Yeah. <clears throat> and you get people come in play a song on the balcony build a record it and put it up on YouTube Yeah, and that was it That was and it. it kind of went from there and it yeah. became this global hungover students they were yeah, yeah, looking yeah. at the balcony <laughs> yeah. and one of them went out and played there and said will we get somebody up to and they got a fella to juggle a football and they had a magician yeah. right and then they had a girl playing a drum singing and then they started to get musicians yeah. and more and more and every day they put up a video and one of the ones that blows my mind you know you'd be struggling anyone putting up videos of anything like if you have a makeup vlog or if you have a band whatever the thing it is that you're putting on YouTube they put up a duck on the balcony like a rubber duck in the lashing rain and they played singing in the rain and I think it has about 25,000 views you know you're kind of going what did and I was trying to and part of this there's a couple of elements to this story you know that we have the NPR Tiny Desk Concert Series mm. now, which is a great place if people aren't familiar with it to see bands playing in a kind of broken down in a small setting in an office at a desk but this was before that and I think what this had was it was more, as, as the, the clip there says, there was an innocence to this. It was one camera, one microphone. And if somebody could make a performance sound good on a balcony with an ambulance going past them on Dame Street with one microphone and one camera, you knew they were a good performer. Yeah. You know, if they could pull it out of the bag there, it spoke volumes. But I think part of the appeal as well, and there's so much going on that, it, that the Tiny Desk concert series doesn't have, part of the appeal was stuff went wrong. Mm. You know, that there's a whole video of outtakes of Tom, one of the presenters, calling bands the wrong name, you know. <laughs> and stuff like that happened. Like, I was just watching a video of him. There's a... I'm, I'm uh, doing a preview of this at an arts festival in Doolan next week and one of the people joining me is a poet called Stephen James Yeah, Smith. I know him, yeah. I played him on show last week. And actually, Stephen yeah. kind of, he, like, he started his career well, on He was Balkan. on that he as well. He was on that as well. Everyone yeah. was on it. Yeah. But he, he, says, he, like, he says this really emotional poem about his mother having cancer and chemotherapy and he's wearing a suit because yeah. he just came from his job. And this poem, like, this is hard hitting, you know? 
and he's crying at the end of it, right? And the presenter comes out and says, nice suit, any chance you'll do me accounts? I'm just going, oh, Jesus, <laughs> did he just say that to me? Like, the guy's crying. But moments like that, you do not get yeah, on the yeah. Tiny Desk Concert series. Yeah, yeah. And it was, I think in wrestling, you know, in American wrestling, they call it kayfabe. This idea that um, everybody knows wrestling is fixed. Yeah. But sometimes the facade falls down and somebody does really hit someone with a chair. And they're the moments that make it go off. And when it comes to the, the music industry, we know it's polished. And we know that everybody is airbrushed within an inch of their mm. life and everything is overproduced. But then you had this thing that wasn't polished and wasn't produced and people loved it because it cut through all of that highly produced stuff like a really sharpened blade. And it was honest, it was natural and it wasn't produced and anything could happen. And a lot of the time, stuff did happen. One of the producers told me on the balcony they had in Tralee, they had Picture House on the balcony. Oh, yeah. And Picture House started into their songs. It was during the Rose of Tralee and five fighter pilot jets <laughs> came very close to the balcony shooting coloured smoke out of the back of them. And they all hit the deck. Right? It was just like deafening, breaking the sound barrier over the balcony while they're performing. So they brushed themselves off and went, whoa, like that was pretty intense, right? Let's And they started again. And what happened? The Jets came back again. And the Jets came back over a bit five times. You know, And that's not going to happen on MTV. That's not going to happen on other voices, you know, yeah. or NPR Tiny Desk Concert. But it happened on Balcony TV and people loved it. And people loved it so much that people got in touch with these three students and said, can we please do it in Stuttgart? Can we please do it in Tokyo? Can we please do it in Sydney? And within a fairly short space of time, it was in a hundred cities around the world. And with something like that, some people soon see the potential in it to make money and millions of dollars became involved in it. And you hear Stephen said in that clip, you know, he asked MTV, he was brought into an office Mm. in New York and the CEO of MTV said to him, how much do you want for it? And he went, oh God, I don't know, seven million, maybe. <laughs> and you know, so that's the kind of situation he found himself in. It's an incredible story. And as funny as some parts of that is, that what really attracted me to it is it's a very simple question, right? Yeah. And it's a question that comes up time and time again with people in a lot of different walks of life, not just music, in business, in, in other walks of life. If you create something and you put your heart and soul into it, and there's a part of you in that thing, and somebody comes to you with a check for a million dollars and said, Here's a million dollars. We want that thing, but you won't have it anymore. And we want to do something with it. And you have no say in that. Would you give it to them? And that's the story of what happens here. And when you do give it to them and they do do what they want with it, how do you feel after that? Okay. And that's part of what it is. And so that's, that's the dilemma, really. That is, it? Well, it's, it, and it's a current dilemma because I see Fionn Regan, the Irish singer-songrongwriter, just... Four, oh yeah, he's four been days ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. Offered fifty. He put it up on Twitter. He said, yeah. "I've been offered fifty-five grand for one of my songs. Yeah. What will I do?" And yeah. he doesn't know what to do. And some people said, "Sell it." Some people said, "No, don't sell it." But involved then in this story as well, there's a bit of intrigue in this because um, people saw somebody working for Sony saw what was happening when they bought it, and they created a document of all the videos, eighteen thousand web links with the name of the band, the date they were recorded, where they were recorded. And they sent that out anonymously to people. So even though the videos were delisted from YouTube, somebody in Sony sent out this document. And nobody will say how much it was sold for when it eventually was sold. There's a non-disclosure agreement in place around that. While I was making this podcast, the domain name balconytv.com 
was auctioned and it sold for $18,500 to a business registered in northern Sumatra. I didn't even know that Sumatra had a northern and a southern part. But there's these little things that yeah. happened along the way that kind of made, and where there was meant to be an interview. I couldn't just interview one fella for 40 minutes about that. It's going, ah, come here, there's more to this. I have yeah. to talk about this for a bit longer. And then try and figure out is there something we can learn from that? You know, if you are faced with that dilemma that somebody is waving a cheque in front of you for a million quid, you know, do you, do you sign that deal with the devil? Take the million quid? Or do you stand by your gun and say, no, I'm going to keep this thing and do with what I want to do with it? I think most of us would take the million quid, wouldn't we? Mm. But what happens It's hard. It's one of those... You can't put yourself in that situation until you're in it. Until you're in it. You, you like to say, yeah. this is what I do, but you really don't know. You don't know. And then the interesting thing is... That that happened, like we're talking, uh, three years ago. Stephen eventually got fired by Sony mm. when, when they bought it. So these people have had time to reflect on this stuff. And I'm able to talk to them and say, well, you know, you chose to sell it. You, you know, tell us where the dice fell. You know, how does it feel now? Would you do something differently? What did you learn from that? And what can we learn from that? And that's what I'm interested in talking to them about. I, it's not like... Some of it could be just a trip down memory lane. That doesn't interest me. Mm. I mean, it'd be entertaining. There's lots of really entertaining stories and we talk about some of them. But I, that doesn't interest me. We'll do the trip down memory lane. We'll talk about what happened. But we'll also talk about what can, you know, is there mm. stuff we can learn from what happened? Let's reflect on what yeah. happened. And if somebody has to make that choice in the future, nobody's going to tell them what to do. But if they listen to what these people did, maybe it might inform a choice that's similar that they have to make in the future. The Rise and Fall of Balcony TV, a chaotic microcosm of the global music industry, it will be released on the Irish Music Podcast, uh, sorry, the Irish Music Industry Podcast on the 1st of February. All three episodes are going at once, isn't that it? That's it. And that will be your swan song for the Irish Music Industry Podcast. Yeah, they're my last three episodes. Yeah, and I'm handing it over. There's somebody who got in touch with me and said they'd love to give it a lash. Brilliant. I'm just going to hand it over to them. It, It might keep, I think it's going to go in a video form, but... It'll have nothing to do with me. It'll be their baby after that. Did I'll you get a million quid for it? I did not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I nearly had to pay somebody to take it off me. <laughs> uh, Mark Graham, thank you so much. Uh, I'll tweet out a link for it. And I'm, I'm looking forward to talking to you more about this in another context because I think it's fascinating stuff. And uh, I can't wait to hear what you do next because uh, you're, you're a fine stunt puller. Thanks, Rob. Cheers, bye.